For this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, our friend Vivian Mabuni is back at the table with the group. Vivian is a national speaker and author and Bible teacher and podcast host who, with her husband Darren, have been on staff with Crew for over 30 years now. And she's been with their EPIC movement. EPIC is a ministry that exists to help Asian Americans proclaim and demonstrate the good news of Jesus, bringing his hope and honor to the world. And Viv brings with her a passion for studying the scriptures that so fits with what goes on here at Discover the Word. She's been our guest several times before. And so uh, what will we be studying together this time? I'm excited about kind of diving into 2 Kings and looking at God's character through the lens of these different stories from 2 Kings. Now, if you've read that part of the Old Testament, then you know that there's some strange and difficult and puzzling things in the storyline of Second Kings. When I read this passage, I picture Jack Sparrow in, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean with like a <laughs> crown on and eating a big turkey leg and running off with the treasures and hiding it and all of that. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get to that one uh, later on in this podcast. But I think you'll be surprised and encouraged by the things we find are true about God that we find in 2 Kings. Will you chair up and join Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Vivian Mabuni for this episode of Discover the Word. And it is good to have you here for another hour or so of studying the Bible together on the Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And it'll be great to catch up with Vivian Mabuni and spend some time studying with her. Viv is one of our favorite guests that we have joined the regular group. She has so much experience with Bible studies in her years leading them with crew and now speaking and writing as well. She just seems so comfortable in this setting. And so, as she mentioned, she's going to take us to 2 Kings and point out to us five different things that we learn about God that are woven into the events that we read about in that section of the Old Testament. So, let's get started and listen as Elisa and Bill and Daniel welcome back and get a bit of an update from our friend Vivian Mabuni. Viv, it is awesome to have you back. You've been with us several times, so welcome back. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. I love being able to see everyone and catch up again, so it's an (laughs) honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Let us know what you're doing with yourself nowadays. What's happening with you? Oh, well, some of the same things. I'm still enjoying thoroughly uh, the opportunity to speak at different events, and I have started a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women that's called Some Days Here. So that's mm-hmm. been that's a passion project that I'm yeah. creating. It's a great way to learn about Asian American history and culture in a really mm-hmm. organic way. And I'm now a new board member for Denver Seminary. So there's just some fun doors <laughs> that the Lord has opened, and I feel yeah. really grateful for that. That's awesome. How long have you been doing the podcast, Vivian? Mm-hmm. There's a good solid three seasons that people mm-hmm. can listen to. Good. Cool. And for all of our Discover the Word family, You've been with us at the table several times leading different discussions. So if anybody wants to go back in our archives, you can do that online. And then you've also been a guest on our podcast, the one that I do with Aaron Eddy called God Hears Her, which is another ministry of our daily bread. So you're kind of 
adopted family, if you oh, will. Oh, yes, I guess we can so. say a little bit. Yes. <laughs> I consider our Daily Bread family. So, yeah, absolutely. Nice. <laughs> well, and long before you did radio yeah. or podcasting for us, you did a book for us, Warrior in That's Pink. right. That's right. I think that was the first time I encountered you mm-hmm. was when you'd done that. And that describes your journey through breast cancer as a survivor now. Some, how many years out are you? Well, I just realized last Friday it was 12 years. Mm. Wow. You know, just finishing that last active treatment and Mm. realizing that and just grateful for every day, grateful for every Mm. milestone. I think there's extra weight to my three kids when they, like my middle son just got engaged, you know, and just being able to be here still. I'm just, Mm -hmm. there's an Mm. appreciation and a gratitude that's profound. Life Mm. is precious. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And as we have these conversations, I know that will be a bit of a backdrop mm. for mm-hmm. the things that we go through together. Where do you want to take us in these conversations? Where do you want to go? Well, I love the Bible and studying the Bible. And my burden is that increasingly, each generation seems more and more biblically illiterate. So I'm excited about kind of diving into Second Kings and <laughs> looking at God's character through the lens of one of the prophets and just kind of learning together how to extract biblical principles through our conversation and through these different stories from Second Kings. Hmm. Awesome. We haven't done anything on Second Kings in a while, guys, have we? Not since we did some things on Elisha a few years ago, but that was hmm. probably five years back now. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, go for it, Viv. Get sure. started here well, then. Yeah. Okay, so in my Old Testament class at seminary, I'm still trying to finish my master's in Bible exposition, and I'll be in that program for a million more years. But my <laughs> Old Testament class, I learned that First and Second Kings – was actually originally one great big volume, and it was just Mm -hmm. too massive. So they split it because probably the scrolls were just way too heavy. But Hmm. First and Second Kings reads like a Korean drama. There's so (laughs) much, just every imaginable tension is found in the pages and the stories of kings. And so just a quick backdrop, after Solomon's reign in the Old Testament, the kingdom split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Mm -hmm. So the northern kingdom is the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah. Now, the kingdom of Judah in the southern part, they had several kings that were godly, and then many that were not. But the northern kingdom had 19 consecutive wicked kings. And that's the backdrop of everything that we're reading about is just leadership really does matter. And when there's good Hmm. leadership, it really affects people and it saves lives. God's faithfulness shines through as he continues to provide prophets to speak his truth, to remind the people again of God's character. And so we're going to be looking at different snapshots of God's character and his faithfulness to his people. And when I look over the landscape of our current situation today, it's a little bit disturbing, sometimes a little bit scary, but I just wanted to throw it all out to you to answer, like, what are some reminders when we feel like our world and surrounding circumstances are not what we think they should be. Vivian, can I ask a quick question before we jump in that? Maybe that'll give time for Bill and Elisa to think of something. <laughs> Thank <answers>. you, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. You mentioned two words. Some of the kings were godly 
and mm-hmm. the 19 wicked kings. Mm-hmm. What do those words mean in the context of First and Second Kings? That's mm. a great question. I would say those who were the good kings sought to honor the Lord and okay. to follow his ways. The wicked kings just literally turned their backs on God and chose to go their own direction and even worship the other gods of the surrounding nations. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the wicked kings sacrificed his own children, you know, burned them mm-hmm. alive. So that's a wicked king. So there's just not a valuing of life and a lot of neighboring wars that were going on. And so that's kind of the, the backdrop. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it mm-hmm. does. Thank you. So back to what you asked us for a second. That's a great context. What is it you want us to respond to? Yeah. So what are some helpful reminders for us, you know, as believers, when we feel like our world and the surrounding circumstances are not as we think they should be? I guess I kind of am like, I think a lot of us, I pendulum swing. Sometimes I fret and freak thinking, where has God gone? Is he asleep? You know, as the psalmist says. And probably in my better moments, I remember that he uses all, that he is not about one or another direction as much as he is about his character and his desire to demonstrate his love Mm -hmm. in the life of people. And when I get that in front of my nose, then I don't fret and freak quite as much. But sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's just honestly tough. Yeah, I think for me, when I look at those situations, I'm reminded of the fact that this is not the first time in history that these kinds of things have happened. And God brought his people through in those seasons and I think we can trust him that he'll help us now in this season. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, it's kind of like learning from the history, like books like Second Kings, where we see God show up repeatedly in unusual circumstances or difficult circumstances. And then we see some, maybe not identical, but clearly similar circumstances in our world today. So I think to me, it's just the history that this is not new. And God has not changed, and he can still be trusted. Yeah, you asked the question as helpful reminders. The one that comes to mind for me is something that's uncomfortable first, but helpful. Mm -hmm. And that is Mm -hmm. usually in these situations, I become very aware of how little control I have Mm -hmm. over circumstances, Mm -hmm. over how things happen in the world over my own life, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. which ends up being a really helpful reminder of how much I need God and Mm -hmm. others. And it's very comforting to think of our God as the way Elisa and Bill, that you've described him, a God who can work all things out for good, a God Mm -hmm. who does love us. And that's good because he is in control and I'm not. And mm-hmm. so it's an uncomfortable reminder, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it good. is a helpful yeah. one. That's really And you know, honestly, if we really get into it and look at scripture itself, we'll see instance over instance where life seems to be going way off the rails. Mm-hmm. And yet God is 
in it, bringing it back to his purposes. I mean, think about Moses. You know, here he is relinquished by his parents in order to save him. He ends up in Pharaoh's courts, raised in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, murders a dude, ends up being the one that God uses to bring God's people back to himself. Or or think about Paul Mm -hmm. persecuting Christians Mm -hmm. and yet becomes, after his encounter with Jesus, one of the most influential apostles and witnesses of Christ ever. So we can fret and fear in the face of situations, and and yet God can use these things, uh, these Mm -hmm. wickednesses, Mm -hmm. to bring people to understand his love. Mm -hmm. I think I would love to just ask, how can we apply the truth that God is always at work in our daily lives, just bringing it down to really practically, how can we apply the truth that God is always at work in our daily lives? Well, I think that for me, when I apply that, it just reminds me that there's purpose and value in things that I would not always necessarily see as purposeful or valuable. Because if it's something that God is potentially in the process of using, then that by itself makes it purposeful and valuable. Yeah, that's good, Bill. And and I would add, too, that there's this rhythm the scriptures give us of remembering the past and then stepping forward with kind of a renewed hope. Mm -hmm. Because when we look at the past, we see how God's been faithful in really ugly, terrible circumstances, like Mm -hmm. what we see in 2 Kings. Mm -hmm. And because of that faithfulness in the past, it gives us kind of a renewed faith, a renewed hope, a renewed confidence, even when we don't feel it, that, well, if God's been that way in the past, if he's been faithful then, then he'll be faithful today. He'll be faithful Mm -hmm. tomorrow regardless of what's going on around us. That's wonderful. I'm really, really excited to actually dig into the scriptures, specifically just thinking about God being a God of abundance. And I think it's interesting. We could even probably just really quickly brainstorm how you see God provide through the Bible, different Bible stories. Like, what are some of the ways you remember God providing, even some of the interesting, unexpected ways? I immediately think of when Jesus does a miracle with a few little pieces of food, Mm. and then at the end, they have 12 baskets left over after thousands and thousands of people have been (laughs) fed. And so that would be some of the abundance I think of. And when one of the versions, it's expressed that a boy brings his lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just think, how in the world did he multiply it to that extent? Yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah, I think in Genesis, when Abraham is instructed to offer Isaac, and Isaac says, we've got the fire and the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham wisely says, God will provide for himself a lamb. Mm. And he does. Mm. Mm. How about you, Elisa? Any other thoughts that come to mind? I guess I'm thinking, let me just go back to one of my favorite abundant references, and that's John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I have come that you would have life to the full. Some Mm. translations, Mm -hmm. abundant life. And I just, in my own personal life, I've gotten stuck on what does that mean? And I find myself defining it as just like a little sip, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just like kind of a perfunctory, you just get this much and God's done his part. (laughs) And this is not what the passage is saying. It's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, well, he'll say he's the bread of life. He'll say he is the living water. He'll say that when we're in relationship with him, springs come up 
from within us an overflow. You know, he really has invited us into a relationship of abundance. Mm. And that is just mind boggling and yet incredibly encouraging to think about. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump into 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and look at the story of this woman. And Elisha is the prophet that God has sent to the people. And this passage actually speaks for itself. So we'll just go ahead and dive in and then we can talk about it. So Bill, I'll have you start and then we'll just kind of go around and share the scriptures here. Okay. 2 Kings 4 verse 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars, and as each jar is filled... Put it to one side. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her children. They kept bringing vessels to her and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. But he said to her, There are no more. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your children can live on the rest. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's interesting. Clearly, there's abundance there, but there's not waste. Mm. The oil didn't keep flowing after there were no more containers for it. Mm. That's right. Well, my first question is just what stands out for you from the story? And you've already jumped in. So, Daniel, I'd love to hear what stands out to Mm. you. Yeah, I think what stood out to me was she left him and shut the door behind her and her children. There's like almost this mysteriousness to the story where we get to see what happened behind the door a little bit, but not Mm. really. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. like... We don't know if like the thing keeps overflowing or what that looks like or any of that. There's almost this little bit of mysteriousness to the story. And Mm -hmm. that kind of jumped out to me. I think what struck me is just the idea that there's God being the one to provide, but he still had the widow and the sons participate, that they Mm -hmm. had their part as well. And so sometimes I think that God should just provide and it should just fall from the sky But sometimes there's really action on my part that needs Mm. to be taken, a step of faith. I need to ask a neighbor for a vessel, that there's my Mm. part as well, and that kind of stood out to me. Bill, were you going to add some other thoughts there? As you were talking, I was just thinking that it seems interesting to me that we're not told how much the debt was, Mm -hmm. but it must have been enough that it was seen as the equivalent of these two children's lives. Right which to the mother would have been priceless. Yes. And yet, however much oil there was, there was enough to pay off that debt. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a church supper, and you always have the Tupperware things left over <laughs> on the table in the back at the end that nobody takes home. <laughs> you wonder how many of those people never got those jars back. Mm. <laughs> That's good. That's funny. Well, put yourself in the widow's place then. And just for a moment, what do you think she was feeling and what was she thinking? Oh, I just feel her destituteness. And, uh, you know, we've many times studied the plight of widows together, I mean, especially in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. You know, their economic provision came through 
the patriarchy through their husband and his family. And so with mm-hmm. her husband dead and her children, even though they're sons, but obviously younger mm-hmm. than able to inherit that way, she really was vulnerable yeah. and helpless. She really didn't have any options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. there's also this level there too where her future is very vulnerable at this point because if she does lose her children, which historically they would be the ones to care for her when she was old and yeah. couldn't take care of herself. Yeah. If she loses them, then not only is she vulnerable in this moment, but she's vulnerable for the rest of her life as well. So she's probably feeling that to an extent too. Yeah. And how great it is that not only does she get to participate to your point, Vivian, but the sons do as well. Mm-hmm. What a lesson that must have been for those two boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, Bill. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting yeah. too. Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? which is a phrase that Jesus used later too. But there's almost this openness that Elisha and as a representative of God that God has to us in a very interesting way, which is, what shall I do for you? The fact that we're even asked that question Hmm. is very interesting, I think, in the story too. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I imagine for her to do an inventory and to only have a jar of oil, I just wonder if the little family had been without food for quite a long time, you know, to have just a jar of oil. I think about just imagining if it was olive oil, you know, and just kind of the smells and, you know, what that looks like. And I wonder, even with Elisha's instruction, go and ask your neighbors and don't ask for just a few of them, like get a whole bunch I wonder if one of the sons might have been thinking, like, we should have gotten more. <laughs> like, just because the oil ran out as soon as the last vessel was full. There's yeah. a lot to kind of chew on and marinate on in terms of just realizing that God provides differently every single time. His provision is one that we can look back on and see his faithfulness, but it's just right. And it covered not only the debt, but they had some breathing room to live off of. So that was abundant. God is a Mm. God of abundance. Mm. So the natural question is, how do we apply this then to our life? Let's turn the corner here. What does that look like for you and I? I'm struck by the fact that they had just a jar of oil and they had the debts. And that's probably the main point of the story. And so in this situation, God provides the means to take care of the debts. But if they only had a jar of oil, what were they eating? (laughs) What, What else did they need? And I'm struck by that. God didn't say, go and ask for a loaf of bread or a fish or some seeds to plant for next year's harvest. He seemed to take care of the debt, the Mm. thing that was right in front of them. And I'm struck by that in my life. I may have a debt. I may be hungry. I may be cold. But God can be so specific that he knows and meets the need that we most have Hmm. in a given situation. It doesn't mean we have no more need. It maybe means that we see the one who provides for our needs. And that's different. So I'm I'm just Mm -hmm. chewing on that, Viv, Mm. as we talk about his abundance. Yeah. I think as I think about how to apply this in our lives, I think the word that comes to my mind is carefully, Mm -hmm. because it would be very easy to take a story like this and Mm overpromise and make this, which is clearly a miraculous event, and try to make it normative, that this is the way God always works. Mm -hmm. And I think your point that God works in different ways to provide, 
is a helpful reminder that just because God did it this way for her doesn't mean that he's going to do it that way for somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, and, you know, throughout the Old Testament, you could almost summarize it at times as a story, like all of these individual stories are stories about God, mm-hmm. but not necessarily applying it specifically as God worked this way, so mm-hmm. he will then work this way, which mm. I hear in what you're saying, Bill. So even that question we have to be careful with because it's like, well, how do I apply this? Well, I guess I go and buy a bunch of jars <laughs> and start pouring oil into them. That's obviously not what we mean. But I think part of what this looks like to apply the heart of God or that we see in this is the fact that she comes to the representative of God and asks mm-hmm. for help. Mm-hmm. And for us, you know, we have access to God through the Holy Spirit, through what Christ has done. And so we can bring our needs before him and that he is a God who says, what can I do for you? Yeah, that's excellent. Well, that's what we need to keep in mind, I think. And again, just remembering that God is a God of abundance and just meditating on his provision and maybe just taking some time today and thinking through all the ways that God provides. Yeah, I think there was a really good balance in that part of our conversation about What's true about God in 2 Kings? God is a God who abundantly provides. We see that in the story in 2 Kings, and we see that in our own stories if we take the time to reflect on how he's done that for us as well. But are you finding that sometimes lately you're struggling with just being overwhelmed by life, way more than you used to be? You're not alone. There are all sorts of surveys that have found that for more and more of us, life has us super stressed and way more sad and angry and worried. You know, all those feelings that contribute to being overwhelmed. Well, the next part of the conversation finds something about God that was true back in ancient times that is still true about God today. And there's a perspective that can calm us in our overwhelmedness in 2022. So we'll talk about that after this short break. Our guest for this episode of the Discover the Word podcast is author, speaker, blogger, cancer survivor, Vivian Mabuni. And as I mentioned in the opening of the podcast, Vivian has also been with Crew for a number of years as part of their EPIC movement. EPIC is a ministry that exists to help Asian Americans proclaim and demonstrate the good news of Jesus, bringing his hope and his honor to the world. And if you're interested in hearing more from Viv, then check out her podcast, Someday Is Here. It is a podcast created for Asian American and Pacific Islander women, focusing on leadership and culture. I'd encourage you to be part of these really interesting conversations as Vivian and her guests share stories about ethnic heritage and how it impacts who we become today. Vivian's podcast, Someday Is Here, is available by searching for Someday Is Here on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to Vivian Mabuni at the table with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day for more we learn is true about God in 2 Kings. All right, we're back in 2 Kings, thinking about the character of God. And I'm really excited about this particular passage. It's a longer one, but God is a God that is bigger than our circumstances. And we're going to talk all about that, just times when we feel overwhelmed. And I think that this is probably true of a lot of people these days, especially. So I think we're just going to start off in the story. And then 
with that as the backdrop, we'll have a conversation after that. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. Daniel, I'm going to go ahead and have you start us off. Once when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he took counsel with his officers. He said, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Take care not to pass this place, because the Arameans are going down there. The king of Israel sent word to the place of which the man of God spoke. More than once or twice he warned such a place, so that it was on the alert. Okay, then in verse 11, Mm -hmm. This enraged the king of Aram, and he summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. (laughs) Verse 13, so he said, go and see where he is that I may send and take him. And it was told him saying, behold, he is in Dothan. And he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Mm. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Hmm. Woo, what a story, (laughs) huh? Yeah. Pretty, pretty incredible. And this isn't the first time he's seen a fiery chariot. He saw mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. several chapters before when Elijah yes. was taken into heaven. So this is not his first experience with fiery chariots, which is kind of crazy all by itself. Yeah. yeah. And I'm <laughs> yeah. finding it kind of funny because what should most stand out to me in this story, of course, is like there are chariots of fire and <laughs> horses, right, that he doesn't see. But what jumped out to me was that Elisha was speaking to the king everything he said in his bedchamber (laughs) and how we always joke around, you know, these days about there's always a camera or there's always a mic. So be careful what you say. Well, evidently that was a problem way back before microphones (laughs) and cameras. That's really true. That's really true. Well, let's talk about just this idea of feeling overwhelmed. And my heart goes out to the servant, just the circumstances, you know, this huge army surrounding the space and just feeling overwhelmed. For yourself, just thinking in your own lives, talk about a time when you felt overwhelmed. How did God meet you? Well, I can start right now. Today, (laughs) I'll just say today I feel overwhelmed. And, you know, as we're having these conversations, my husband has cancer and it's been a development in the last several months and it's taken 100% of our attention and focus. And at the same time that he's encountering this, my brother is on the list waiting for a liver transplant, Mm -hmm. and I am his lead caregiver. And at the same time that these things happened, our daughter was in an accident, and her car was totaled. And I could go on. Sometimes things stack up like this. Mm -hmm. And I have felt overwhelmed 
pretty much every hour of every day. So how have I seen God? I see him about every hour of every day if I watch. And that's the trick for me. Mm. You know, whether it might be a friend texting me going, I'm praying for you, or maybe it's on our update on social media and people reach out or somebody offers to bring a meal or whatever. There are small ways Mm -hmm. and there are larger ways, i.e. a larger way is that my husband's doing better and better all the time. And it's very encouraging to see what's happening with his healing. So I think a lot of us live in a daily Mm-hmm. overwhelmed mm-hmm. moment, whether it's our bills or kids or mm-hmm. teenagers or whatever. Yeah. 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 For me, if I think about it in this moment, this last year has been a year of almost, it seems like a never ending wave of loss Yes. in our family. Mm-hmm. Several months ago, my mom died. Mm-hmm. And then just shortly after we had her funeral, my mother-in-law died. And then just a few weeks after that, a sister of mine died. And then a week and a half ago, my great uncle died. And it just seems like every time we get in the car to go somewhere, it ends up at a cemetery or a funeral home. Mm. And it's just this kind of ongoing, kind of like what Elise is describing, just wave upon wave Mm -hmm. of loss that just doesn't seem to have an ending point. Mm. And I think for me, as I think about Elisa, what you shared and Bill, what you shared, I almost feel like what is overwhelming me feels like it pales in comparison to those things. But after spending enough time with the two of you, I know that one of the things that you would encourage is the fact that, well, whatever is overwhelming for you is overwhelming, period, regardless of what other people mm-hmm. are experiencing, mm-hmm. which is probably helpful for anybody that's listening. Oh, I think so. Right? Yeah, you know, Daniel, one of the things our friend Philip Yancey has taught me is that pain is pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, we yeah. don't need to rank it, mm-hmm. you know, yep. because what we're experiencing in the overwhelming is legitimate mm-hmm. in and of itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pain is not competitive. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. yeah. So for me, overwhelming just has to do with the amount of stuff that I'm either responsible for or the things that we have on our plate Mm -hmm. as a family or at work Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. feeling that pressure all the time. And that Mm -hmm. feels overwhelming at times. It does. Yeah. And that is super legit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It counts. (laughs) It does. And those are, again, as you all have said, that there are very real pains and very real emotions. And I wonder even going back to the passage in Second Kings chapter 6, with Elisha's certainty and then the servant's fear. And I wonder if God gave Elisha a special understanding of all that was going on. Obviously, it was supernatural. He could tell what the king was saying in his chambers, you know. So God was giving Elisha an incredible supernatural gift of insight and vision to see what was unseen. But we're like the servant, just kind of going around trying <laughs> yeah. to just do the right thing and, you know, follow mm-hmm. where God leads. And we don't necessarily see the bigger picture. And mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the things where um, God being bigger than my circumstances is a truth that I need to keep anchoring in, especially when life feels overwhelming. That for me, it's not Pollyanna happy talk. But it's just really understanding that God is aware and he knows what's taking place. He is sovereign and he still loves me in Mm -hmm. my fear, my grief, my sadness, my feelings of being overwhelmed, that 
he never changes. And yeah. I think that something that you talked about, at least about, you know, watching for God and seeing how he meets us. And sometimes it's through the scriptures and our prayer time. And sometimes it's through the community. God shows us his care through his people. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, you know, for listeners to just think about if God's putting somebody on your heart to kind of yeah. take that prompting and act on it and just text them and just mm-hmm. say, hey, I was just thinking about you. It could mm-hmm. very well be that it was exactly what that person needed at that moment. Mm-hmm. And again, knowing that God is bigger than our circumstances. What do you guys think mm-hmm. about that? And how do you apply some of these truths of God's character in the midst of our circumstances? I think about what Peter wrote when he said, casting all your care on him, knowing that he cares for you. The key word in that verse to me is the word all, casting all your care mm-hmm. upon him. I'm not maybe able to bear up under all that weight of care, but he is. Mm -hmm. So if I give it to him, if I cast that on him, Mm -hmm. he can bear up under what I can't. Mm. Yeah, That's so good. Mm. Yeah, And kind of the opposite, Vivian, of what you were describing. You were describing that we might be that person for someone who's an encouragement. But in those times of feeling overwhelmed, we can also be those people that reach out to people for encouragement. Yeah. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the servant wouldn't have felt better if he hadn't gone to Elisha and said, what are we going to do now? (laughs) Right? Like if he had just taken that stress and been overwhelmed and hid in his room and tried to figure out how he was going to hide from pending destruction, Mm. he wouldn't have found that encouragement from Mm. Elisha. And so the Lord has put us in community with other people. And Mm. so maybe part of the invitation here is that when we are the people that are overwhelmed, actually Mm -hmm. reaching out and being vulnerable with others. Mm. That's excellent. Yeah, Daniel, thanks. I guess I'm struck, Viv, by verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Mm. And I immediately flashed to greater is he who is in you. Mm-hmm. than he who is in the world. And, you know, James talks a lot about how, you know, trials are to help us grow in our understanding of God's provision for us. And I think about that, that that's our good God's heart mm-hmm. as we encounter these overwhelming moments. His care for us is purposed to bring us closer to him. That's excellent. Romans 8, 31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And this truth remains true throughout time. Vivian Mabuni at the table with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day for this edition of the Discover the Word Bible Study Podcast, exploring some things that we learn are true about God in 2 Kings. And what we've learned so far is that God is always at work, even in ways we can't see, that he abundantly provides, and he is bigger than any problems that we have personally or that the world is facing today. Well, next, they're going to find a story that reminds us that God can and does use anyone. And just so you know, this is the conversation about the passage that reminds Viv of Jack Sparrow and Pirates of the Caribbean. Let's listen. What do you think of when you picture an influential person? What are some ways that you would describe someone of influence? There's a couple of ways that come to mind, and I think they're both important. One is a great charisma. 
the kind of charisma that just grabs attention when the person walks in the room and you think, what does he or she have? And then the kind of opposite quality of an incredible humility that you don't notice the person when they walk in the room until maybe you watch the way they interact with somebody or they open their mouth to use some very carefully selected words or and you're surprised hmm. by the way they handle themselves. So you know, I, I can see both of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think for me, Vivian, I think mostly in terms of what I would like to see, not <laughs> what I necessarily expect to see. <laughs> what I would like to see in somebody who's a leader or influential is integrity and compassion. Mm-hmm. I want them to be trustworthy and I want them to use their influence for the good of others. Mm-hmm. I don't naturally expect that, but that's what I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would almost say that we would need to distinguish between a leader and an influential person because they're not always the same either, because there are leaders that are influential. But interestingly, some of the most influential people for me, I wouldn't necessarily have described them as leaders, Mm. but they're people that have been really good listeners that ask good questions. And so in a way, you could say they're leading Mm -hmm. (laughs) through those good questions and things like that. Mm. But some of the most influential people, I think, to both Bill and Elisa, to your points, is someone who's very humble, is Mm. someone who's compassionate, is somebody who isn't all about them. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you see that in the way that they're interested in you and your life. They ask good questions. They listen well. And maybe that's the reason they're influential because they're actually speaking to what's going on in your life instead of just assuming Mm. that they know you. You raise a great issue, Daniel. And, you know, I think what we're zeroing in on is these character qualities Mm -hmm. of humility and influence in that way. I think it's interesting in the kingdom of God, so often things are just upside down. And Jesus even Mm -hmm. talks about, you know, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. And I'm excited actually for us to look at this passage today in 2 Kings. And I'll just kind of set up the story. Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. And it's in this moment, as we jump into this passage, it is surrounded by the Syrian army. And there's a famine going on inside that's just, people are desperate and destitute. And that's kind of the setting. So these are very trying times. And we're going to read about these four lepers. Now, lepers in that time were outcasts. So they had to stay at the city gate. And no one would come near them because they didn't want to catch leprosy. And so they were kind of the bottom of the barrel as far as citizens of the town. So as they're starving, as well as the whole city, they're all in famine. They decide to go over to check things out at the Syrian army. And they figured, you know, we're going to die here if we stay, but if we go there, we might die, but who knows what's going to happen. And we'll see how God actually works through unexpected people in unexpected places. So let's go ahead and pick up in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say, We'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. So they arose at twilight to go to the Aramean camp. 
but when they came to the edge of the Aramean camp, there was no one there at all. <laughs> For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, The king of Israel has hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to fight against us. Verse 7. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and golden clothes and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, We're not doing right. This is a day of good news. But we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. <laughs> this is a day of good news. What a great line. Right? <laughs> this is the day of good news. I think it's so fascinating to me that a trained army would up and leave. So whatever God did, that sound of chariots and horses was frightening enough that they would literally abandon camp. And they were all trained during that time. If there was a threat, they would at least push all of the resources into the middle of the camp and set it on fire so that the enemy couldn't plunder. But the fact that they would leave their tents and just run for their lives displays to me that God is a really big and powerful God and he can cause Hmm. armies to flee. But let's focus on the lepers here because when I read this passage, I picture... Jack Sparrow in, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean with like a crown on and eating a big turkey leg and running off with the with the treasures and hiding it and all of that. But what stands out to you from reading about the lepers and specifically about the lepers, but this whole passage, what stands out to you? I think, first of all, the fact that the lepers become the heroes of the story in a way, obviously God being the first hero, but with what we've talked about before, lepers were unclean outside the city gate. Um, They were the most vulnerable because Mm -hmm. if they had attacked, they're not behind the gate protected. They're in front of the gate. Mm -hmm. So they're the people that are the outcasts, the most vulnerable, and they end up being the heroes of the story. Mm. That's so good. They're like unexpected heroes, maybe even that way too. But I'm also interested in the fact that they're like the least likely to become heroes, but it's desperate circumstances that engage them. Mm-hmm. in that role. I mean, mm-hmm. they say it like three or four times in the first several verses. I can do this, but we'll die. We can do that, but we'll die. We can do this, but we'll die. We can go over here and we might live or we could die. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. You know, it really is a life and death situation that motivates them to step into a role where they do become the unexpected heroes. I think one thing that we wouldn't automatically think of, I mean, everything we've said so far in this conversation about lepers is from Israel's perspective. Mm-hmm. Aramea or Aram or Syria clearly didn't have the same view of lepers that Israel did because their chief general, Naaman, it's true. was serving in leadership and he was, uh, he was a man who was a leper. So even though he was a leper, that didn't prohibit him from access to the king, from functioning at a high level, from being able to serve. And it may be that these lepers, again, speculating, it may be that these lepers heard Well, lepers aren't the outcasts in Syria that they are in Israel. Mm. Maybe they'll give us a chance. Mm. Interesting. Well, I love this posture that the lepers have, that they come across food and clothing and gold and, you know, all of this abundance. 
and they're partaking and then they stop and they say, mm-hmm. wait, what we are doing is not right. Yeah. And so their moral compass says, okay, we have food, but everybody, those who have mistreated us and called us names and avoided us, they're starving as well. And for us to keep this good news from the people is not right. And so Mm -hmm. they then, if you read the rest of the chapter, they go back and that ends up being a day of victory for the whole Mm -hmm. community because the lepers stop and they realize that they are eating and drinking. I think this is such a picture to me of us as believers in terms of sharing our faith, that it's not that we are going around like you know, stuffing the gospel down people's throats, you know, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But it's this idea that we're all starving, and we found food, and it's just an invitation for people to come and see, you know. Mm -hmm. It's almost just, let us go and tell. And I think if we have that same posture of the lepers, of humility, and just a willingness to come as a fellow struggler, traveler, someone who also is hungry, who's actually found the bread of life and living water. I think that that can change a lot the kinds of conversations we can have as it comes to sharing our faith with others. Do you guys have any other thoughts about that? The thing that comes to mind for me is we've talked about the Lord's Prayer before and how it says, give us today our daily bread. And Mm -hmm. uh, Brian once told me that Haddon Robinson used to say, that means if you have two loaves, you enjoy one, but then the other loaf is for someone else. Mm. And so I see that same spirit here. Mm. And these men that were outcasts, they came across plunder instead of keeping it all for themselves. They ate and were satisfied, but then they handed that bread to others so that they could be satisfied too. Mm. Lots of times when we, we read passages like this, we think the quote sin is eating and drinking. You know, that that's what's wrong, is that we should have this life of nothingness, scarcity. But Viv, you've made it really clear. That's not the error. The error was keeping it to themselves. The error was not sharing it. So I, I love kind of teasing this apart to be able to enjoy the good grace that God gives us and to share it mm-hmm. with others who need it as well. I go back to what you said about Yeah, the people in the city were the ones who had viewed them as outcasts, but in a sense, they're in advance doing what Jesus said when he said, love your enemies, do good to those who despitefully use you. And the ones who had treated them the worst, at least in what we understand about the culture, were the people that they were actually concerned about, which says a lot about their hearts. Mm, That's a really good point. God can use anyone, even the least likely. And I think that All of us can be used by God to turn and bring about change for our hurting world. Yeah, the Bible is filled with stories of God using unexpected people. And so what we've learned about God in 2 Kings is that He can and He does use anyone. Keeping that in mind will have a tremendous effect on how we think about ourselves and how we think about others as well. We've got one more thing that we'll learn about God in 2 Kings, and it comes from another amazing story with some crazy coincidences. But are they coincidences? Find out another thing about God and how He provides after this short preview of what we'll be studying together in our next podcast. 
next time on the Discover the Word podcast, we're going to talk about something that in a lot of ways has fallen out of favor in our world today, the biblical virtue of gentleness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in some ways, I can't think of a more important thing for us to be talking about right. than gentleness, because when we look at the way people on social media interact with one another, mm-hmm. yeah. especially over disagreements, it's far from gentle. I heard someone say the phrase the other day, they laid the smack down on somebody on Facebook. Yeah. Gentleness is almost outside of our imagination right. now but as it, a culture. It, exactly, it is. But it does not ignore the need for differences. Yeah. And so join the group as they explore some passages that will help us to understand why gentleness is it evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives. Gentleness is the subject of the next Discover the Word podcast. And now the conclusion of this conversation with Vivian Mabuni about things that we learn are true about God in Second Kings. Vivian, I've learned a lot about God. I think we all have <laughs> from our conversations. <laughs> and just looking at some snapshots from Second Kings, thank you for opening these passages for us. In some ways, we just miss the Old Testament because there are some really wonky, confusing passages, mm-hmm. some even troubling passages. And so your roadmap through Second Kings to help us see these overarching truths about the same God that we know in Jesus is present. It's really affirming. Mm, well, I'm glad. Well, we're going to wrap it up today, but I just wanted to share briefly, you know, as we started off earlier, I'm a cancer survivor. And I think sometimes we don't realize how God's hand is at work until later in life. Mm-hmm. And I was reflecting back on this in one of the summers before my cancer diagnosis. I had a moment, we were doing a summer mission in Japan. And I sensed the Lord asking, are you willing to sell the house in California and move here and learn the language and do all the things if I ask you, are you willing? And I remember feeling like, okay, we're already missionaries. We already brought a whole team of college students to come do ministry here. What more? And wrestling with the Lord and finally after, you know, probably a couple weeks, coming to a place of surrendering again. And that's part of, I think, our journey as believers is that we come up against new circumstances where we need to lay down our lives, again, say, your will, not mine, be done. And that was one of those moments. And I did not realize until much, much later, years later, that God used that question. It wasn't for us to necessarily move to Japan as much as, do you surrender your life to me, Viv? And when Hmm. I said yes, that was actually the summer before my diagnosis. And so I just see that God just goes before us and he's he's always at work and he's always ahead of us. And we're going to look at a great passage to kind of wrap things up in 2 Kings chapter 8 about a character that was actually shared earlier who was a woman whose son had been brought back to life by Elisha. And it's a really powerful story, but we're going to pick up because In this scene, before all this happens, this huge famine had come through the land, and Elisha had told this woman to leave, and then she'd come back seven years later. And so that's where we're going to pick up with chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Go ahead, Daniel. Sure. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Get up and go with your household and settle wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come on the land for seven years. So the woman got up and did according to the word of the man of God 
She went with her household and settled in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and had said, Tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. And it came about as he was relating to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and for her field. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she related it to him. So the king appointed for her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the produce of the field from the day that she left the land, even until now. I would guess that that probably wasn't much since it was seven years (laughs) of famine, but whatever it was was hers. Yeah. Yeah. And the land was hers. Well, I mean, what stands out to you from the story about God and his character and this whole circumstance? There's definitely a theme of timing here. It just mm-hmm. so happens that she mm-hmm. comes to the king yeah. and asks for her land back while this is happening. And of course, how many times, even in our lives today, do we end up in those moments where we're like, man, I thought this was coincidence, but looking back, And it's so personal, it and there's a thread of timing mm-hmm. throughout her life. You know, God's already intervened and helped mm-hmm. with her son, you know, and now he's continuing, mm-hmm. and he will continue after that. We Sometimes we just get a snapshot, and it's a given moment, but this is more of a thread through her whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. What strikes me is that Uh, If you study Elisha's life, he has a pretty sketchy relationship with these kings. These kings were not men who wanted to honor God with their lives or the way they ruled or anything. And yet, for some reason, this particular king is really interested in what the prophet has done and is doing. Mm. And that seems to be a little bit out of step from the normal pattern of the northern kings. Mm. And again, like the timing that... God's at work in so many ways, like God's at work in this king's heart, you know, and the servant and the woman and her son, all of that. It's just very significant to me, realizing that God does go before us. How does knowing that God goes before us change the way we respond to events that happen to us? I have had many seasons in my life where I've wailed out to God and then I've watched him deliver, maybe not in my timing and maybe not in my expectation, but I've watched it. And so when I hit another trial, and and I'm old now, so I've got a lot of them under my belt, you know, I can go back and look at how he has answered, look at the track record I've kept in my journal. So that's one example, whether it was crying out of, God, will you ever place me in, in a marriage? Lord, will you ever give us children through adoption? Father, will you ever help my daughter's health situation? Lord, will you help our finances? God, will you Mm. intervene with my brother? And then you go, yeah, and here's how he's done it. Everything changes. And I've I've had a difficult time Mm. because I don't want to be formulaic about it. And we've talked about that before here. But I have Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. overall, after decades of being in relationship with him, a kind of a confidence that stays in place, even though I'm still honestly challenged at times. But I have this bedrock kind Mm. of confidence Mm. that God has built in me. That's good, Lisa. I think for me, through past trials and different things, it's been, at least in my experience, that usually God brings someone, some person into the situation as his agent of change or help or guidance or something. 
And so when I get into these situations, <laughs> I kind of wonder, okay, who's God going to use this time? <laughs> and I kind of get my spidey sense going yeah. to, to try to be aware of who God might be bringing into the situation to be his agent to help there. Yeah. And Elisa, you mentioned bedrock and Bill past experiences. I think my <laughs> cement's still a little wet maybe because uh, I'm still learning to to trust. I think that God goes before me. I read this story and I see what feels like a pretty quick series of events for her experiencing the problem and then getting a solution. And I think of all the times in our lives when we don't see solutions come quickly Mm. or at all. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes those are the hardest times to believe that God's actually going before us. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's when it's helpful to realize that God Mm -hmm. is with us as well as going before us. So that's what comes to mind for me are the, the moments where... Like I said, my cement's still wet, and I'm still learning to be confident. Yeah, it's a good time to take your finger and write in it, Daniel. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I think you're right, Daniel, but I think also her situation's been seven years Mm -hmm. in the making. Mm -hmm. So there's also a time element in that. She's been a displaced person for the last seven years. And when she comes back, she encounters a situation she didn't expect, but Mm -hmm. that God already has the answer for it. I think it's a really fascinating little story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my faith is when I'm down, it's encouraged by hearing how God is being faithful in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. So when I read this story in 2 Kings, I just think, wow. The timing was so perfect, and God really went before her and restored everything. Because, you know, if she had come just a little bit earlier, he could have denied her the land. Mm -hmm. And yet, her timing and her willingness to listen to what Elisha had said in the first place to leave probably spared her life. And then when it was time to come back for the timing, again, that God's hand was on her life. And when I hear that happening in the lives of my brothers and sisters, it can help me to keep holding on, even when my circumstances may not be turning out. But for me to be reminded that it's always bigger than us. And God Mm. has this intricate weaving of people's lives and people's stories, people's struggles and their victories. And it's never an accident, the people that we meet and that's where our encouragement, even in this time, just to, to stay focused on God's unchanging character. That's true in the Old Testament and true through Jesus's life and true today in the here and now in our lives is where I want us to kind of rest and land on. So keep setting our roots deep into the scriptures and studying the scriptures in community to be reminded of who God is. And as the group concludes their study from 2 Kings in this episode, I hope you're taking away a mindset of seeing aspects of God's unchanging character as they're revealed in Scripture in these stories from the Old Testament, and also seeing God's power and God's provision and God's faithfulness in what's going on in your life today as well, because what's true about God in 2 Kings is still true today. Author, blogger, podcast host, Bible teacher, Vivian Mabuni at the table with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day for this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. 
in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Now, when you go to our discovertheword.org website, you'll notice that uh, almost all of our digital content is freely available. And there's a lot of content there, hundreds of series, thousands of conversations, recent new studies that the group is doing, and classic series going back a couple of decades to when Haddon Robinson and Alice Matthews were part of the group. And we open up that archive of resources to anyone who wants to learn more about the Bible. And so, when you give a donation, you can have the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping other people from all walks of life to dig deeper into the scriptures just like you do. You can give online at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedding. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.